He's just a common man working hard with his hands. He's just a common man working hard for the man. He's a American dream. Tim Horsey, Tim Horsey, just give us a wave. Just give us a wave. You guys are terrible. you didn't commit to the song all the way to the end i'll be honest with you i feel like you had a good idea but didn't match it to a song before you did anyway this is the week in the tackle podcast hi everybody great to be with you my name's tom rennie i host the podcast sort of i host it alongside a man who is a legend in american broadcasting american soccer american modeling american hat wearing american parenting he is in many ways the american dream it's Mr. Brian Danseth. How are you, mate? You're right. You know, I am so excited, Rennie. I'm so excited because I got a, I got something sent to me by my my really good friend Andy Williams. So he called him Bama. Bama played for Jamaican national team. Uh, went to the World Cup back in '98. Played with him. I've I've known him for since 1997, and we played together at Real Salt Lake. We're both Adidas guys. We 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 had Adidas boots that we played with, and we were we were Predator guys. We were like the OG favorite Predator ever made. The thick three stripes, the thick yes, ones with the tongue yes. that came over and had the band that went like those were specta. Uh, and I woke up to a, a note that there is a leaked picture of the gold Adidas Adidas Predator accelerators that Zinedine Zidane had mm. worn in 2006. Now, those were the earlier versions than the one that I really enjoy, which was kind of the 2001, 2002 kind of version of the Preds. But the reason why I'm excited? Yes. Sounds like they're bringing them back. Sounds well, like they're bringing back one of the best boots of all time and the genius that was Zinedine Zidane in the 2006 boots that, uh, you know, unfortunately, we'll leave out the part where he headbutted somebody and got himself sent off in the final. But, you know, the boots, the boots are coming back, Randy. I'm super, nice super excited. I mean, I'm a geek. I'm a geek when it comes to soccer boots. I'm a, I'm a geek specifically when it comes to old school preds with the tongues that went over and yeah. Oh, it's it's funny you should mention that because Zinedine Zidane and I both use the same head wax. Shall we get into some of the football from this weekend? Loads of stuff happened. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to do? There's two options here, and it's pretty yeah. American focus, as I am with my resident American pal. We can do Lululemon, or we can do the MLS, which I also think is quite interesting. I know you cover it, so I want to find out what you've been up to. Yeah. But also because you have been banging that marsh drum. You have been giving that drum a pounding, even when the rest of the band had gone home, the trombone had already been hung up for the day, the marching girls, the majorettes had finished their twirls, and all that was left on the wrong side of the tracks was Brian Dunseth and a massive drum, boom, 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 waiting for the rest of the party to resume. And you may well have been rewarded for mm. your, some would say, almost sycophantic and psychotic love of yeah. a man who pulls off jeggings. Um, do you know what? That intro was so long, we're going to start with that. So Have Jesse to. Marsh won at Liverpool. That was funny, wasn't hey, it? Hey, Tim Horsey, give us a wave. Tim Horsey, give us a wave. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how I became kind of the Jesse Marsh bodyguard on this uh, Week in the Tackle podcast. I'm, I'm the words sure. you say mainly was what well, did it. You know, you guys, you guys have, uh, have publicly vilified me for having faith in my Americana brethren, whether mm. it's Dane Murphy at Nottingham Forest or it is uh, 
Tyler Adams. Fantastic. Can we just say that we haven't been vilifying Brian Dunseth at all on Shame. Friday's Grumpy Pundits when we do our weekend predictions for the forthcoming weekend. Uh, in Dunny's table, he's got like Forest top and Leeds second as opposed to Forest bottom and Leeds 15th. Yeah. So you've been doing that to yourself and we have quite rightly been doing some light Michael taking on that subject. Yes, you, you have absolutely done your best to put me in a psychological pickle uh, these last two weekends where I've I've neglected both of my teams and uh, for very, very different ways. Both teams have come up with huge, huge results. Look it's at how weird. pathetic you are when it comes to a little bit of peer pressure. Is that you know, why is this? It, well, I mean, could I make you swallow anything with a little bit? Of, could, we, could Tim and I make you swallow like something that's not spicy because you like that, not bleach, that's too much. Could we make you swallow the urine of a bull with peer pressure, do you think? Do no. you think we could do I think we could. I no. think Tim is a very persuasive man. He mm. gives you one flash of those beautiful eyes. He pushes the hair off his scalp, which I did many years ago, never came back. Um, and he could convince you of anything. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I would uh, drink the urine off a uh, bull's testicles. Okay. Is that what you said? Did that go That's dark? the mission. That's the mission now. Well, number okay. one, urine doesn't come from testicles. Did you <laughs> fail <know>. school? <laughs> Three what semesters, school baby. What Cal State Fullerton, you... represent. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. All right. Ch chickens, chickens lay eggs from butts. That's what happens in Dunny's school. First? Which came first? The butt or the chicken. <laughs> there you go. We learn new things all the time. So, um, so where do we start with Jesse Marsh? I, again, this, this is like No, let's start with the celebration. Don't oh, give yeah. us your deep analysis yet. Mm. Let's get to the celebration <laughs> that every everyone in Essex in 2001, where I'm from in England, was doing that because we all loved Ali G. Before he became massively successful, Sasha Baron Curran was on a program called the 11 O'Clock Show, which Ricky Gervais hosted, and he was a kind of like a correspondent on it. And everyone in the playground was doing that thing. Um, and and like, we'd be outside like gym, lining up, ready to like do whatever, go in, yeah. and we'd be like, oh, like that. And the teacher will come out and go, all of your fingers are going to be broken when you're older. You're mm. all going to have arthritis, you idiot. Mm. What are you all doing? Which mm. was only partly true because I yeah. broke my fingers in other ways, Mr. Bolt. That's why I've got wonky fingers and arthritis. Not because Ali G was very, very funny. So f*** you. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. I hated Mr. Bolt. What a wanker. Did you call what him Dolt, Mr. Dolt? Did you ever want No, him I called him a wanker, wanker and that's why oh. I got kicked off the football team. Oh. Um, but... Another reason. Um, but, you know, it's, why was he doing that? Is that an American thing? Because I recognized well, it from my childhood. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if it's an American thing, but I definitely know if you dip or you snooze when you get the dip cans, right? It's like the little hockey puck dip, dip cans. Oh, right. All of my friends used to do it. They'd snap it like that, and you would get the... You would get the little the little packages you put under your lips, upper lip for snooze, bottom lip for dip. Right, uh, okay. I never did it. When when guys said they did it and they like threw up immediately, didn't really didn't didn't really get me going. Didn't really didn't really. Did you get do me it going. because of peer pressure? No, nope, never. Who made you do this? Get him on the phone. John Bush, goalkeeper for Columbus Crew, would walk around Typical with a dip Bush. all the time, and I was like, "Be oh, wary of Bush." I'm always bushy. Saying. Yeah, the bushy. You got to be careful, bushy. But why um, do you think? Why do you think Jesse Marsh did, did the allergy, but also yeah, at the know. same time was sashaying like RuPaul? Yeah, he he was sashaying. He was doing that. Ooh, ooh. It was good, wasn't it? It was like sashay away. Yeah. I love it. It was amazing. <laughs> Three it was the points best. away. Sashay, sashay, sashay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so but is there but is there is there something here by the way every time that that 
Nottingham Forest or Leeds United plays Liverpool? Is it just full three points? Is that what we're doing it. now? It just this is it. Dunny's I mean, buddies giving it to Horsey. So there is. we go. Home or right. away. Home or Football away. Football analysis. Brian Dunseth. Fun game to watch uh, from an American perspective, because, Randy, I don't know if you know this, we do have uh, plenty of American listeners. Um, by the way, got a text message from a friend out in Kentucky. Says he listens to you and I all the time. He says, I'm the funny one. You're the guy I work with. Um, he didn't remember your name. It's super awkward. I said, it's Tom. I just remember. It's okay, because no one in England knows who you are either, so it's fine. <laughs> According to Reddit, <laughs> as yes. I saw a couple weeks ago, That's nobody true. knows who the f- I am. Sorry. Tom. Sorry. Um, Tyler Adams continues to grow into whatever this new role looks like. I think he is the most important player for the U.S. men's national team at the World Cup. We cannot afford to lose Tyler Adams with the way that Greg Berhalter sets his team up. So to see him recover from missing last game and to be such an important piece with the way his engine is, um, fantastic. I love Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson's kind of never say die mentality where he's just going, he's pressing, he's got, he's got this, this, this level of, I don't even know what the right word is. He he's so dialed in and locked in to full speed, 100 miles an hour, every single time with or without the ball that I think inevitably the press continues through him. Even if he's not starting it, you can see immediately what he's trying to do. And when he's with the ball, He's tricky, right? He's he he moves a little bit. It's not that he dances on the ball. He doesn't do unnecessary stepovers, but I just think he looks how to kind of expose space. And I think, you know, so often now we're talking about tactics and we're talking about shape. We're talking about identity. And I think what we're starting to see now is kind of this new age football where teams are shifting in and out of shapes and it's about who can expose the vacated space as quickly as possible. I think that's what he does a very good job at. Listen, Jesse is going to live or die by results. Right. If the team doesn't do well, you have a very cultured fan base with an incredible amount of knowledge that has a certain idea of how they want Leeds United to play. Plus, he follows up a legend in Marcelo Bielsa. So these are always going to be difficult shoes to fill. That being said, these are one of those moments in the last two years that Leeds United fans can look back at and say, this was a reference point game. Now, for Jesse Marsh, can he turn this game into this residual growth? Because what we were talking about was, is he being a nugget? Is he being stupid? Is he being naive? What are the right words to describe him? And I said this to you on Friday on Grumpy Pundits, Rennie and Dunny take America, that this is, this is, this is Jesse. Jesse will not bend. Jesse will not try to be pragmatic. It, we, we were talking about Steven Gerrard. We were talking about Frank Lampard. We were talking about all of the managers that just try to settle and stop the bleeding and mm. look for something to build from. That's not Jesse. He's not going to do that. And mm. I was not surprised with the way that he set his team up. And I don't think anything changed the ideology of what he's asking from his players even when going at Liverpool. I'm not trying to make it out to be a Champions League final, anything more than this, but this mm. was a very good win, and I think it was a deserved three points on the day at Anfield. I think that's really, really interesting because I actually think that Jesse Marsh quite rightly listens to grumpy pundits and to weaken the tackle because we had this discussion last week, as you mentioned, and I actually think there was some quite interesting tweaks here from Jesse Marsh and the way they played. Firstly, Tyler Adams coming back in was absolutely crucial. When, mm-hmm. Whenever he is not there alongside Rocker, 
it isn't there. Doesn't and that's no right. disrespect to the players who come in. Tyler Adams is a step up from anyone else that's played in that role this season. So uh, that was really, really important. I think it was really evident that they did basically the old Allardyce four centre-halves. No, Tony Pulis, wasn't it? The four centre-halves. That's what Tony Pulis famously did at Stoke City. It was like, in the era of the attacking full bag, I'm going to play four blokes who are over six foot who don't cross the halfway line. Yeah. Uh, and I know Pascal Strauch has done it already, so it's not like it was new for this week, uh, but it was really evident he played them, I thought, as four centre-halves in Christensen, uh, Cock, who was terrific. Love to see Cock. Uh, Cooper... And Strauch is the back four. Uh, Adams and Rocker didn't go far from their positions. And the work rate of Harrison, uh, Somerville and Aronson was outrageous. At times it was outrageous. And at times it was a back six with Somerville and Harrison getting in there, doing their jobs. In, time, in times it was a defensive trio in Adams, Rocker and Aronson. And Aronson just chasing everyone around like a dog chasing cars. It was just incredible to see at times. Um, so I do actually think it was a more cautious approach. Quite rightly, it's Liverpool away. You know, Jesse Marsh plays a certain way, but he's not f***ing stupid, right? Uh, sorry, Tim. I think he did make some tweaks, but he didn't make as many tweaks. And we'll talk about it later as, say, like David Moyes does or Sean Dyche used to do in these sorts of games, which is the, the comparison we made last week, yep. where they went so negative and so deep, they didn't have an outball. But when Leeds did it this week, it was so interesting that they did have an outball and it wasn't because they left players up. It was because the players could get there. And that was such a massive difference when they got it up to Rodrigo uh, when he was playing in that uh, first half. When they got it up to Bamford, the guys could get there. When the... It was really funny as well. And I think this is why they won the game, actually. We took a call on, Tim, was it Thursday, I think? From, or maybe it was a Friday show. I think it was Thursday. From a guy called Derek on Grumpy Pundits. We took a call. It was a Leeds fan. We were talking about this, this very subject. And he called up and he said, and he was Irish. I'm going to do the voice. He's white European. I'm comfortable with it. Oh, we've got, we've got to say the little Irish fella. First, a little Irish fella. But some, but Leeds, Leeds are side a little Irish fella. That's, that was. Was that spot. Brad Pitt? Was that Brad Pitt? Spot on. Did you do it? I want a blue caravan for me, ma. Did you do it? I want a blue caravan. We ain't got wheels on it. Sorry, 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 Tim. Sorry, Tim. So, went a bit pirate there. Went a bit pirates of Penzance. I am a major model of a model. <clears throat> anyway, and I thought he came on. Nonto, Nyonto. I'd not heard of him before when the guy called. I, I genuinely didn't know who it was. I'd not seen enough leads. I'd not seen him whenever he may well have come on. Mm. And he's got like six caps for Italy, senior caps. Apparently, Roberto Mancini, Toby Gillis in commentary was saying, loves this kid, 18 years of age. Um, senior international with Italy. I'd never seen him. And he came on for Jack Harrison. He was great, but knackered on 70. And I look at him thinking, look at this player. Mamma mia, as Chris Pratt would say as Mario. Like he just, he was so, so impressive. Composure, carrying the ball, energy. Um, and I thought that, that that's what one leads the game in the end, I think, mm. is that substitution, which then begs the question why... Jesse's not been playing him. He's 18. We've not seen him. I'm sure there's some very good reasons for that, but we don't know without knowing there's always going to be a vacuum when we put our ideas. But I thought they managed the game superbly. They got lucky because Liverpool look a bit woeful, which we'll get to in a second. But I think yeah. we should start with praising Leeds. Marsh got it right. Jesse got it right. I don't think that's one over a lot of Leeds fans. I think the other games that have gone before this and the games that will come, I think it's Brentford this weekend. These, no, it's not Brentford, it's uh, Brighton. I'll double check that, but it's someone winnable anyway on Saturday. It, it's those sorts of games and previous Bournemouth. games. I think it's Bournemouth. Bournemouth. 
Thank you. I knew it was a B. Bournemouth. This that's that's the game that's going to define Jesse Marsh. Yep. Not um, not games like this, but this is the game that you're going to remember because of what was achieved. So terrific. Hmm. I think they got a bit fortunate. I think that there was a good blueprint set. I think they executed brilliantly. You've got to take your chances when they come. When you don't, Bamford you lose did. this game as others do. But can we can we um, talk about Bamford's we'll touch? That that t- what yeah. is Bamford doing? Why would he not take that with the inside of his right, shift his body weight, and then even slot far post side net using Allison's weight against him? Trying to take that across his body with the outside of his left foot when he's literally constructing his body differently instead of just taking it with his right and having no pressure whatsoever, a touch and then a slot. He could have, he takes it with his right, Rennie. He takes one step with his right foot then. He recalibrates for a split second. He has far post and he's got near post. He can shape far post and then still cut it near post. I just, I mean, you when, when you're watching this game, you're like, oh, that, that was it. That that was it. That That's yeah. the moment where you don't put the game away right there. Then it almost felt like it was inevitable. You could feel like, oh, okay, liberal ask Horsey. Didn't you feel like you you had a chance to win the game once he didn't put that to bed? He's yeah. nodding. Yeah, he's yeah. nodding. No, he nods. Nodding through the tears. I just think Patrick Bamford, God bless him. He had that tremendous season. He's taken some serious injuries, some serious knocks to confidence, massive setbacks. I think Patrick Bamford of two years ago would have done exactly as you described. This Patrick Bamford, the effort is there, the desire is there but I don't think the confidence is there at the moment. And whether that comes back or not, whether it happens in this team, whether Jesse can give it to him, uh, I don't know. I want to ask you about Liverpool. One final thing on this, just to add to the historic nature of the result, uh, Crescencio Somerville, what a name. Uh, (laughs) Crescencio Somerville's 89th minute winner in this game was the latest winning goal scored against Liverpool and Anfield since, have a guess. It was 21 years ago. Oh, you've gone too far. A little oh. too far. You've it was ten years. Ten-ish. March twenty twelve. Robin Van Persie scored oh. a winner for Arsenal. Uh, so it's been a decade and a bit since this uh, last happened. Again, to show the historic nature of it. Let's talk about Liverpool briefly. We've done a lot on them recently, and I actually yeah. think we've already diagnosed the issues. I don't think this is worth the deep dive that maybe we would have given it after Nottingham Forest, because it's, it's evident that the issues are there, but I thought it was quite interesting. What Jurgen Klopp said post game again, these great winners are often very bad losers and his post-match interviews were, were terse and short and a yep. bit, you know, they weren't great. Yeah. Um, but I mean that with the utmost respect, I'd be the exact same. I, mean, I know. He's, but pissed. I mean, it's, yeah. he's, yes, pissed. he's pissed. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But he, he, um, he's he's making it personal with some of these answers with yes with that are that are very simple questions yes. asking directly how to diagnose what the problem is is it fine I hate is when they grit? ask what is you think tactic? like don't don't ask what I think and the, I love when the when the, the best reporters always when they say what do you think and there was a great one the other week Marco Silva and the the, the, the Martin Conor McNamara maybe went um. Well, no one wants to hear what I think. People want to hear what you think. I could tell you what I think till we're blue in the face. That's what my podcast is for. This yeah. is my 30 seconds of contractually obliged conversation with you. So yeah. I'm not going to fill it with my views. I've got them, but <laughs> no one gives a toss about my views. You're the person that's here and, and I want to hear from you. So that's good. But anyway, here's the quote that I wanted to get your view on and then we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the issues, but they're, they're evident. Quote, the judgment for this will be later on in the season when asked the question about his team being in decline. 
it's not 100% fair to judge this team currently. We're missing some top quality with injuries. We have to go through this. We've had some highlights, but some blows too. He says this is not a team in decline, and that question is almost unfair to ask because of the injury issues there are. Do you buy it? I'm somewhat in agreement when it has to do with this conversation because we. I want to be pragmatic on this one because it's very easy to be like, oh, he's full of it. Or no, my God, he's got every reason to think this way. I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle, right? Because based on history, this group of players absolutely responds. And you just have to look what happened last year with the significant distance between themselves and Man City when everybody was putting it to bed at the start of December. No one's touching them. Um, they, they, they pushed them to the brink. So you have to give the benefit of the doubt to these players to a certain extent, to a certain extent. Now, we talk about body language. We talk about performance. We talk about fatigue. We talk about short turnaround time. We talk about condensed games. We talk about injury. All of these things still can be true. But the reality is they, I don't want to say they look a shadow because that's not fair. They just don't look the same. Yeah. It doesn't feel this. Now, there's glimpses, right? Where they can go smash teams. They can go smash Bournemouth. They can go smash Glasgow Rangers. They can go smash Ajax. You still see that team. But that's what we're trying to figure out is, is it injury? Is it fatigue? Is it rotation? Is it lack thereof? Is it heavy legs? Are there players that aren't? playing at such a consistently high level that now all of a sudden we're seeing these, these, this is now more than blips. You expect blips over the course of the season. You expect mm. to draw a game on the road away at insert name here. You expect to lose or draw a game that you're not supposed to lose or draw at home. Those things happen, but to happen so much at the start of the season, we're 12 to 13 games into the, the into the year. You throw in the FL Cup, you throw in Champions League. This team has been taken apart on a couple occasions, and that's not what we're used to seeing. And so, yes, Jurgen has, he's got a feel for his team. If you and I were grabbing beers with Jurgen, and there was no phones around, and there was no microphones around, and the conversation was never going to go anywhere, he would give us insight to what is happening to the team. Or there would be a possibility for him to give us insight and truthful insight as to what's happening within the team. And you can talk about the balance of the squad. You can talk about the personalities of the squad. You can talk about the injuries. You can talk about the attitudes. You can talk about who likes each other and who hates each other. All of these things, again, can be true. But he's only going to tell his honest perspective with regards to knowing how the media will then frame his answer. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it's it's all fair. All of it's fair. The criticism's fair. I think the concern about players is fair. Our conversation about how much money is being invested in the squad, whether that's re-upping contracts or that's bringing in new players or it's going out and getting Arthur Mello for no reason just because you think you need to do something. Mm. All of these things, again, it's it's fair, but it doesn't give us the full answer as to why this team isn't performing at the level of consistency that we have been used to seeing for the last four seasons. 
Well, I'm actually not that confused about it, personally. I, I don't think there's a great mystery here about Liverpool. I think that the first element is quite clear. It's a massive hangover from last season, playing mm. every single minute of every single possible game all the way through the season. Four trophies, Winning two right? cups, yeah. coming second, and runners-up in the Champions League, right? There's, there's no great surprise. There is a ongoing hangover from those gargantuan efforts at the end of maybe a four-year cycle for some of those players. So... I don't see that as a massive surprise. The other element to that works with that, which is recruitment, who came in and who's gone out. They have done this incredible feat of the last three or four years with consistently between seven and 10 players being injured. Like consistently, there's that many players out. Now, look, would Naby Keita have made a difference? Frankly, no. But he would have been available to pick up some hard yards instead of Harvey Elliott, who had a stinker, right? But he's not been able to do that, Jurgen Klopp. So that's one issue. The recruitment element has been poor. Very, very poor. Darwin Nunez was diabolical in this game. He is clearly a talented footballer, right? But is he anywhere near the finished article? Harry Kane is the finished article. Robert Lewandowski is the finished article. Erling Haaland's the finished article. They're incredibly tough standards to meet. But that is what you expect from the Liverpool centre forward. That's who they are. That's who they've been under Jurgen Klopp. And this guy is not in the same league as them. He is in the same league, as far as I can tell. And I mean this in a praiseworthy way. He's in the same league as uh, Raul Jimenez from a few years ago. Mm. Maybe Gianluca Scamacca right now. Someone like that. Uh, someone like Gabriel Jesus, potentially. Maybe he's, uh, he's transcended that now. Callum Wilson, potentially. This is the sort of level. Good striker. Like him. Is he Harry Kane? No. Is there any scenario where you pick him over Harry Kane? No. And that is where he is. You would not put your mortgage on Darwin Nunes to score. And I think that's the difference. And it's incredibly high standards, ludicrously high standards. But it's the Liverpool centre forward. And so that's that's the category we're talking in. Would he even be playing? I mean, there's a legitimate conversation to say, is he a starting player if Luis Diaz is, is available and if Jota is available? Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed. I don't think he would. But then that goes back to what we're saying earlier about the fact Liverpool are continually dealing with seven to ten injuries. So, again, it's impressive what they are doing. But this is why it's interesting that there is a little bit of more reporting now, more coverage of the criticism of the lack of investment in this team. And whether it's because they can't afford to do it because of financial fair play, they just don't have the money, they've spent too much money on the redevelopment of Anfield. I don't know the reasons. There'll be better... Um, better people to ask about what the reasons are. But it's evident looking at the team, no one ever replaced Vinaldum, And right now, Sadio Mane is not replaced. Mm -hmm. Luis Diaz wasn't ready. Darwin Nunes is not ready. Thiago Alcantara, I think, is a very good, technically gifted, brilliant player. But he's got no business in this team at this time because it's just not a good fit. It's just not a good fit because they need a rock and roll player and they've got Stradivarius in midfield, right? It just doesn't work. Fabinho's playing poorly, but they're behind him. They're not bailing him out. Joe Gomez is never going to be a top centre-half. I know everyone loved his City performance, but he's not a top centre-half. You can't rely on Canate. You can't rely on Matip. The, the, the issues are there. And if you just bought three or four players, had a plan to replace some of these ageing players, bought the right type of players, then I think Liverpool aren't in the position they're in right now. They're going to be top six. It's going to be all right. Klopp's not going anywhere. But I do think the issues are obvious and they go down to, can you play over 40 games a season? Because if you can't, you can't play here. 
and there are too many players that have got through that net, that um, conversation about recruitment without answering the affirmative to that question. I want to ask you about Brighton and Chelsea. Massive win for Brighton. And I want to ask you about the Graham Potter element to it. Now, a few weeks ago, we did a, a sort of semi-viral clip on this programme of, I was talking about the open letter that Graham Potter wrote to Brighton supporters. And I got some great responses from Brighton fans. Um, some people that disagreed with me, wrong people, but um, weirdly for me being right about something, everyone else saw that I was right. Usually people think, oh no, he's a wanker or something, but actually, no, I'm, I'm right. Um, <laughs> and that was just for you really. Um, and he went back and got booed. Now I, I saw a weird backlash to that, a weird reaction to it. Some people whose opinions I respect, others that I don't, um, but they're all, I've seen a few people now, which is why I think it's interesting, say, I can't believe Brighton. I can't believe Brighton fans booed Graham Potter at the Amex at the weekend. I can't believe they're so gleeful about somebody who gave them so much coming back and seeing him get battered. And it was a result that flattered Chelsea, not Brighton. It really game. did, yeah. And I, I wanted to say this because I think it's really interesting. People who say that don't understand fans. Hmm. They don't understand fandom. And this is why I'm always saying when you're in a, uh, a team booking a studio team for a conversation about football and you're talking to two fans, make sure you have someone that's talking from that perspective in the conversation. Because I don't think footballers, certainly career footballers, they might get it, but they don't get it. Hmm. Because, of course, it's their career. Yeah. And from a career perspective... Graham Potter would never and should never turn down a move to Chelsea at this point in his career. So we all get that. We're rational yep. human beings. 100%. Yep. But for Brighton, for Brighton supporters, being Brighton manager, wanting Brighton to win, it's not a career choice. Mm -hmm. And I've been really surprised how difficult this seems to be to understand for some people. And I think maybe it is the difference between being a career player and being a being a fan who's maybe grandfathered in. It's not a career move yeah. to be a Brighton fan. They booed him because he left them. Yep. Now, they, he might well have been, imagine it as a marriage. He might well have walked out and left the car, left the house, left the dog, taken the kids. You know, all the good stuff, all the stuff you want when someone leaves you. Yeah, take the kids, yeah. great. Yeah. Leave yeah. me the house and the pool and the cars and the money. That's fine. Yeah. You know, it might have been an amicable and good split, and Brighton got a heck of a lot of cash out of it. But as a fan, I don't care about that a jot. Hmm. I don't care about that at all. You left me. You yep. left me, the club that's in my heart, yep. the club that my grandfather supported, and you left for them. And here's the other bit of this, before we get your opinion on it. He left for a better club, right? Better club, whatever our barometers of better are. As a fan... There is no better club than my club. Hmm. Full stop, the end. And you will not convince me otherwise. Like some responses were, oh, you're trying to say that Real Madrid, Real Madrid aren't bad in Brighton. No, not to Bill, the Amex Stadium season ticket holder. Hmm. He couldn't give a flying saucepan about what happens with Real Madrid this week. I don't yeah. care what happens to Real Madrid ever. I don't yeah. care if they never win the Champions League again or win it every single year. Yeah. As long as West Ham beat Palace the weekend, that's what I care about. So fans don't see it. 
and fans will never accept it. And rationally, it might be handshakes all round. When he's retired, thank you for your service. At this point, at this moment, Graham Potter has insulted every Brighton fan, every Brighton fan's son, every Brighton fan's grandmother who supports the club. He walked out on them and he deserved the booze. And that's the game, baby. And you've got to understand that. So I agree with everything you just said. I, I'm going I'm to take you to an, uh, an experience I had uh, about a year and a half ago um, out here in Salt Lake City. The head coach, Freddie Juarez, uh, I was on my way down to the All-Star game. We were covering it with SiriusXM um, FC. And I was in the Uber and I got a text message saying that Freddie Juarez, who was the head coach of Real Salt Lake, that was in a playoff position at the time, was about to leave Real Salt Lake to become the assistant coach at the Seattle Sounders. He was going to leave the head coach, the very top of the job opportunity to be a head coach outside of being an international manager. He was the head coach of Real Salt Lake in a playoff position and was leaving to go take the job as an assistant coach at Seattle Sounders. Um, this was mind-boggling to me Mm. because in the time the club had a bit of issues right there was new ownership that hadn't been announced yet the club was being effectively run by the league uh over overseen by the league and everybody inside of that building was operating on a year contract they knew at the end of the season they would have to negotiate with new ownership um this was a guy that i would sit with on fridays And he would talk about brotherhood and he would talk about fighting for each other. And he would talk about the guys inside the locker room and what they were doing as a unit, as a group. And it was always about being bought in, bought into the identity, bought into the plan, everything that we're trying to achieve. And the first opportunity, and and listen, I'll make this very clear and transparent. Good for Freddie. Freddie got himself a guaranteed four or five year deal, making extraordinary money and is set for him and his family for whatever the future looks like. It's not retirement money, but it's really good coaching money. But at the time, he was still under contract, and he had all these guys that we were talking about, the brotherhood, the fight, the identity, all for one, all for all, yada, yada, yada. And he left midseason for an opportunity that was better for him. Hmm. I took a ton of stick because, as I just said, and I'll repeat it, if you're going to continue to talk about what this culture that you're building as a leader looks like, if you bounce and you leave, you f- these players. Sorry, mm-hmm. Tim. You f- them. Sorry, Tim. Because when you are the head of all of it, right? And everyone looks at you and you're the voice, you're the leader. You give the direction to the players. Everyone's bought in. And you bounce. You quit on them. Yeah. You've quit on them. You you have effectively quit on these guys and said, in no uncertain terms, good luck. I'm going to go take the safe route and become an assistant coach for a rival that's in the Western Conference. Wasn't this a full plot line in Friday Night Lights? Here's the craziest part. Real Salt Lake has beat Seattle every single game since Freddie has left. In the last Good. 18 months. Everything. Good. And and here, Freddie got mad at me because here I was on television laying this out the same way because I'm giving you the perspective of the players. We can talk yeah. about careers, right? And I agree with you. 
the the career mode of how athletes look is very short. It is a transaction. There's very few players that they're, they're, they live and breathe and die for a singular club. It's not how it works. There, there's very few. The ones that grow up and they have a ticket and they go with their father and they're in the academy and they break through the first team, they become international stars or they become lifers for the club. Very, very few players. Mm. It is a transaction between club and athlete. But what you're talking about is different. When you're talking about being a fan of the club, living and breathing and dying by the results, being able to talk with your friends after the weekend or know that your friends were going to talk to you because they're Tim Horsey, Liverpool. I can wind Tim up when you, when Man United loses, you guys can wind me up. The banter effect. These are the emotions that are, that are thread into what our fandom looks like to our club, whatever our club. And here's the interesting part. I'm stateside, right? I've probably seen 15 games at Old Trafford, but I'm not considered a real fan compared to those that have a ticket and that go to every single game that live blocks from Old Trafford, right? So my fandom looks different. It feels different because I don't, I don't get to be inside the stadium. That doesn't mean I'm not a Man United fan. Mm. I might not understand the cultural dynamics of certain things that the supporters that go to every single game look like, think like, feel like, breathe like, but I can tell you that it's not just bucket list. I, I want to take my kids to games. I want to introduce my children to those cultures. I try to get my kids to watch the games and enjoy the games. And at the same time, feel free to pick out whatever teams they like. So when something goes wrong with my club, if I'm watching the body language of a player who, to me, visually looks like he's given up, I'm infuriated. Yeah. I'm infuriated because... You're giving up on the team. You're giving up on the badge. You're giving up on the on the group of players. So for Graham Potter to walk away, yeah, the fans have good. every right to be infuriated about. You can respect what the man did, but mm. you can also recognize the yeah. decision that he's made to further his career, to be at a bigger club, to have bigger access to more money, to have access to a complete group of players that are different than what you had at Brighton. But don't come back here. But there's Don't no back given that right. on your face. There's no God-given right to think that just because you have all that, you're going to come back to Brighton and take the full three points because they got battered from the opening whistle. And just one final bit on this before we move on to some other bits. Um, there was a friend of mine, Brighton fan, as you know, I lived in Brighton for a long time and I have friends that are Brighton fans. And I asked, I asked him if he was going to boo the weekend. And after some excellent choice language, which I can't repeat on here, he was like, no, but seriously, I'm going to boo. And I was like, why are you going to boo? And I was like, well, everything you said is absolutely right. Uh, and then he said, it isn't just about that. It was the asset stripping mm. of Brighton. They didn't just take Graham Potter. They took um, the coach, the head coach. They took even Bruno, uh, club legend, who was kind of working with the kind of analysis team. I sat next to him at the Brighton West Ham game a few weeks ago, August, whenever that was. They also took Kukurea. They're now talking about trying to take uh, their head of recruitment. Like they're literally, they saw Brighton. They've gone, let's just have Brighton. Hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a great sketch in um, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse's series, uh, Harry and Paul, where essentially some guy plays, weirdly, a ripoff of Abramovich. And he walks around in like a department store. He walks around a school and he's just like, I buy it. <laughs> and the whole sketch is like, he's decided, well, I can buy anything I want. And in the end, yeah. he does buy it. But it's like your child or a rabbit or like a train 
or like random things. Like this is the, the heart of the ocean. And if I drop it, everyone on the earth dies. He's like, oh, very lovely story. I buy it. And that's the whole like, <laughs> and this is basically what they've become. Yeah. Um, and the other element to it, which he said was really interesting because uh, I love, uh, I've really started to love the, the Lee Child uh, books about Jack Reacher. Mm. Uh, I've been listening to him on audiobook when I walk the dog. So I'm really into him at the moment. And there's a great bit in it about the lizard brain, which I think is so, so good. And it's about um, the part of your brain, which is the lizard brain, where it comes out every now and then. It's the primitive, non-rational part of your brain where all your behavior at that point is utterly self-interested. And there are points where you're thinking rationally, tactically, you've got to get past these people. We've got to kill them all, yada, yada, yada. How am I going to do it? And then suddenly something happens. Uh, and then the lizard brain takes over, becomes the dominant part of the brain. And that's when it gets up. Sorry, Tim. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. Football fandom is in hmm. the lizard brain. Can I ask you about West Ham? I, I do want to ask you about them because like, Man United won, right? And they weren't great, didn't deserve to win. But there was, a, there was a point in this game where I just thought, I'm watching the Liverpool game again. Yeah. Uh, and we did the Liverpool game that uh, kind of whenever it was a few days afterwards on Grumpy Pundits. And it's so frustrating now that David Moyes has done this for 20 years. Yeah. For 20 years, mainly Everton and West Ham, when he goes into these games against top six teams and in the last 15 minutes, West Ham try and win the game. And they look great. And to be fair, David De Gea made some terrific saves. The Zuma save was, ex save was exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, the Declan Rice save was very good. And uh, Jared Bowen's just got to score. I mean, I know Maguire's standing there, but you've just got to score. Professional footballer scores. I, I would docker his, his wages for that miss, frankly. You know, you haven't done your job this week. You don't get paid. Um, oh, Maguire, great block. No, I, there was a lot of goal to aim for. It's poor finish. But it's now 70 games, someone told me, uh, going into this, that he's gone to top four teams. What was the top four? Uh, so you take out Tottenham and Man City from, from that group, I think you would. And he's not won any of them. 70 games, no victories. And he was asked post-game, Moyes. And I, again, I love David Moyes. I, I, this is not a sack David Moyes thing. I, I wouldn't sack David Moyes ever. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'd happily give him a 10-year contract. We're, we're West Ham are not a joke. For the most, for the longest period of my entire life, we've not been a joke. So he can stay for as long as he wants. But I thought this was interesting. He said, quote, it's strange that people are asking me if we should be beating these teams. Came at a point when we were, you know, relegation fodder. I came at a point when we were relegation fodder. And now you're expecting us to come here and win at Old Trafford. That mm. was his quote. And this is West Ham fans have gone a bit mad about this because we're a bit like, it's not a case of expecting to win, yeah. but your plan to win this game doesn't work. Mm. Sorry, Tim. The plan David Moyes uses to win these games away from home does not work work and he's been doing this now since the 90s <laughs> he's been doing this now uh before since before like oh taylor swift was born yeah right he's been doing this for so long and he did it not only for 20 years at two clubs but also three if you count sunderland but also he did it two weeks ago yep. against liverpool when liverpool were rubbish that day and they were there to get beaten but it was caution, 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 caution. Try and get a corner. Don't do anything. Right. 80 minutes. Go, 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 go. Yeah. yeah. And it's a perfectly legitimate tactic. And it does win you games. 
but he has not been able to win an away game at a big team doing it. And he did it again. And mm. against Liverpool, West Ham keep missing chances. They're not scoring goals when they should. It was almost identical bar the penalty miss. It was infuriating. And then you watch them that last 10 minutes. You're like, Christ, they're good. Yeah, they they're can good play. players. Yeah, they, they can, can attack. Play. And look yeah. at that United defence. We can get them. We can beat them. Yeah. And, and we don't because he doesn't do it until the last few minutes. I know Einstein didn't say this, but what the f*** is he doing doing this again? <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Oh, good old Einstein. Um, yeah, and, and, and you look at how timid the fourth choice center back for Manchester United, I mean, sorry, England captain Harry Maguire was in that match. Um, by the way, is it odd we're not talking about Lissandro Martinez's height anymore? Oh, did we just stop doing I mean, I know we are, No, does. I'm sorry. Can oh. I just say that that's such bollocks? Because oh. there are times when he's marking someone who's 6'9". It's going to be yeah. a problem. It is yeah. going to be a problem, which we yeah. which is identified. He we did well against Mikel Antonio, though. Mikel Antonio is 5'10". He's <laughs> still big. He's muscly, but he's 5'10". doesn't matter how wide you are. The he's same still- Still looks height. like six, six, six inches taller. They're the same height. It's a very stupid um, point. They're the same height. <laughs> Your West Ham can play football. And I don't understand why. It always is to the point when they're chasing the game that they decide to come out and start knocking the ball around and creating chances because they're dangerous, man. They, they are a dangerous team. They're a fun team. And you got Declan getting stuck in gallivanting around with the ball at his feet, running up the sidelines. By the way, that ball wasn't out. Um, he is he is so much fun to watch. And wherever Jared Bowen is or is not, wherever Ben Rama is or is not, whether you talk about Skamaka or you talk about Mikel Antonio, Antonio could be a super sub for the rest of his days if he locks in. Hmm. I mean, what, what an impact he comes off the bench and becomes. And very easily, Man United could have put the game to bed 2-0. It was their inability to get that second goal that made it that much more nervy for all of us to watch because in that last 10 minutes, if not for world-class saves from David De Gea, who the fact that he's not still considered one of the four best keepers for Spain mm. is ludicrous to me. Robert Sanchez is ahead of uh, it's, at Brighton. It's embarrassing. Sorry, Tim. Um, but, I mean, that that those two saves should have gotten him or should get him on the plane to Qatar. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, let me can I tell you about David Moyes though because you, you played yeah. and, and I, I just so they've lost 11 away games this calendar year West Ham now some of that is the Europa League stuff so it's a yeah. bit disingenuous this stat but it does like West Ham keep losing away games and you look at Liverpool which we spoke about which was a carbon copy game yeah. but also you look at the Everton game recently where they had Everton had three shots and won one nil West Ham had 20 shots and couldn't score a goal Nottingham yeah. Forest almost identical to this game. Southampton recently drew 1-1. They had 25-odd shots in the game. You know, it's repeating patterns over and over again. Why is he now not going, you know what, we might try something else? Hmm. Like, that's that's far too many losses for a squad as good as he's got. Well, do, do, you, think, do you think he would ever risk, and I know you have to think about impact players off the bench, and you have to think about like-for-like like ideas, but... Do you ever think he would he could figure out a way from the open to play Mikel Antonio and Escamaca? Not that this is the answer, but to have more of a of a of a threat of a focal. And I know now mm. the game's different because you're playing three attacking players under some type of point striker, and then you're you're protecting with majority of the time two defensive ish minded midfielders. 
and then you're springing your outside backs. Like I get how we're functionally try to play, but I, I just, I'm always, I always wonder with Moyes, the sticking to his rigid, and I don't want to say it's rigid, but the, the idea of rigid policy with the way that his tactics and his shape looks versus maybe it's worth every once in a while to go out and give a run to see. I mean, if you, if you, if he was to get hammered five nil at old Trafford, mm. no one would care, but they Maybe are, but they are going to get hammered five nil. That's, like, that's what I'm saying. Even if they go just went it. a touch more offensive, go at run it. And he would have shut the game down. West Ham don't get thrashed. David mm. Moyes doesn't get thrashed, Yeah, but there was an element to this game and the way the away games have gone this year, they just cannot keep doing the same thing over and over again, which they keep on doing anyway. Um, do you want to say something on Man United? I mean, I have no questions for you. I thought they were pretty average. Great yeah, goal. I, I think what I'm what I continue to see with Man United is a plan. I think there's a plan in place. You can see what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do. Um, I think the he's not being critical. I think he's being open and honest and transparent when it comes to what he wants to see more of. That it, the performances are not good enough. That they're good enough for points. They're not good enough of matching what he's trying to do. So I, I think I'm continuing to see kind of the implementation of what this team looks like. Um, you know, good on him that both he and Cristiano can get past whatever last 10 days look like. Uh, it tells me that he's setting the tone and the standard with the leadership inside of that locker room that the players have to follow. And if they choose not to follow, they're gone, they're out, but he does give players an opportunity to apologize and make mistakes and work their way back. Casimiro was continuing to kind of get back to what we thought he was going to be when he first showed up, but he most certainly wasn't when he came over from Real Madrid. Uh, and ultimately, they still have a big issue. They have to figure out another attacking nine position player. And if they choose to continue with Cristiano, it's, it's only going to be more of a headache going down the line. It'll continue to be a conversation until it's not a conversation but they need to continue to try to figure out what kind of spatial movement, because you can't trust Anthony Marshall. Anthony Marshall is a phenomenal player, but his injury record is now mimicking what Cavani's was for the past 18 months at United. And if you do that, then you're asking Marcus Rashford to play a different position. Jaden Sancho, is he in or is he out? Anthony Alonga, is he in or is he out? Um, so yeah, that that's still for me, the biggest question mark, uh, but Listen, three points are three points. They move on and a pretty manageable schedule at Villa, uh, home against Villa in the EFL Cup, and then at Fulham before the break happens. I have three more quick bits before we're out of time. And I just want to get your view on three stories. Yeah. So it's kind of like a smorgasbord of sports stories. Um, Alexander Mitrovic, mm. I did the Fulham Everton game this weekend. And in the end, when he missed his 10th shot, I actually couldn't help but laugh because he missed so many chances by that point in so many various hilarious ways. He kept missing the target. One of the shots he hit so hard in commentary, I found it so funny. I think I said he put so much meat behind that. That wasn't just the beef. It was the beef, the lamb, the turkey, and the gammon. It was the full carvery. Like he basically broke someone's nose in the stand. He hit it so hard, yeah. but also so over. Uh, 24 shots, they add at Fulham collectively, the most they've had in a game in over two decades uh, without scoring in the game. Mitrovic had 10. is the most in five years in one game without scoring a goal. That was Harry Kane against Brighton five years ago. 
At what point in a game when you've had over 24 shots and your star striker, you know, couldn't kick snow off a rope, at what hmm. point do you think we're going to win this, guys? Yeah, it's uh, I've seen players do this, and it's it's confidence, right? It's all it's all confidence based. And when you lose your confidence, I'm not suggesting he lost his confidence, but he most certainly wasn't a confident player with the way some of those wayward shots were hit. And and it's one of those games where you can never fault the effort, um, but you can fault the finish or the lack thereof. He's got everything. His goal record. It's 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 hard to be critical of Mitrovic, and at some point put your hand up and you know it's not your day every single player has had those days mm. where it's just about guts and determination to fight through it but recognizing you you, you got to down your own expectations that you got to simplify i can't tell you that there were so many times especially early in my early in my career that you knew like i so i could win headers i could jump really high i could play simple out of the back i could hit diagonals but the, the first two balls, like you're trying to hit a diagonal, you're trying to spring somebody, trying to switch the field of play, and, and you just, the ball kind of kind of like tails a little bit, or you underhit it, you overhit it, it's got a little spin on, it doesn't feel clean. You know, as a player, first couple of touches, you just want clean touches, because then you can build on it. You get your momentum going, then it's like, mm. no one can touch me. I'm good. This is my day. I'm feeling it. When you have kind of those wonky touches, when you don't feel like you're on, like it doesn't feel right, mm. then then it's just about effort. Then it's about creating space for your teammates, fighting off defenders, moving a little bit extra, getting stuck in a little. You know, you you can try to build yourself that way. Um, but yeah, when when it's when you know it's that bad, you, you try to you just try to minimize the the negative impact and 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 wipe the slate clean as soon as that final whistle blows. Because obviously it was a really tough day for what has been an unbelievable goal scorer in English football. I was really gutted this weekend because, well, we didn't do our bet for Man U West Ham because West Ham were just were not going to score a goal in that game. My confidence levels were absolutely <laughs> zero. It wasn't even worth my time. No. And in fact, if you go to my Twitter page, I've predicted exactly what would have happened 24 hours previous after watching Leeds thinking, oh, we should try and do that, try and win. And we didn't. So we didn't do a bet on that. There was another bet I was going to do with you a few weeks ago in October and I didn't do it. And I really wish I'd done it. I was going to do what comes first. A goal by Diego Costa or a red card by Diego Costa. But I didn't do it because Diego Costa had never been sent off in English football, which I was stunned by. Um, but this weekend, Dunny, not just one, not just two, but three headbutts in the same play to get himself sent off. Uh, just terrific. Thoughts? Mm. Yeah, so... I kind of have a problem with this one. Oh, um, I, I don't. I can tell you that we've talked before about blood red, the red mist. We've talked about the competitive kind of macho one V one, you know, stick your chest out, bump, you know, like it starts getting the, in that physical realm where no one's going to throw a punch. Come on. No one's going to throw a punch. If they do some big trouble. But no one's going to throw a punch. Usually it's a f you, f you, no f you. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. Um, you say something about their mom. You say something about their wife. You say something about their kids. You say something about them. You cut them for their haircut. You cut them for their shoes, their their look. You tease them about their weight. Like the, the, you, there's a verbal barrage that comes along with it. But here, here's here's my problem with this. I don't like 
when two players are so heavily involved, Ben Me and, and, and Diego Costa, I don't like when they're so heavily involved with the physicality that when it then gets to the point where players are putting their heads together and kind of like pushing, jutting forward, that one player goes down and does everything in their power to get another mm. player sent off. I don't like it. I, I just don't. I, and I you know don't I'll know probably... that Dan No, I, You're I, anti-Dan Sethere now, you know, are you? I, 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 what I'm, a I'm, journey this has been, this podcast. Yeah, this is a weird one. because You're the like, good guy now. I was watching this, and I really didn't like it. I re- it, like, it really pissed me off. Now, full disclosure, I love the Dan of Diego Costa. I love Dunsan. the way he plays Dunsan the game. like it, mate. I love the way he manipulates the players and he, he like makes it a battle. There's a, there's a psychological and a physical battle within the game, right? There, there's subplots. I just didn't like this because if you're going to go out and be like super Timmy tough nuts and I've watched this, this is just a big, you know, this is just a, a I, I, I couldn't stand this as players when you had like one guy who was always chirping and you knew you could kick it out of him. I can say that, right, Tim? I can nope. s- no, I can't say that. Sorry, Tim. That's out. But you know, you can kick the ish out of him. You know, like if this was like a, a, a real fight, no one was around, you knew that you could pummel this guy, but he always had something to say. And then he'd be like, hold me back, hold me back, hold me back. <laughs> yeah. No so one's there. Oh, drives dear. me crazy. Drives me crazy. So this is just one of those situations where it escalated to the point where, yes, it was a red card. He deserved to be sent off. But Ben Mee knew exactly what he was doing. He mm. knew exactly how he was getting involved. And in a situation like that, there's headbutts, and then there's red cards for putting your head on somebody else. Mm. He didn't headbutt him. He mm. definitely jutted out on him. But yeah. like, if he would have really headbutted him, he would have broken his nose, would have knocked him out. Like, yeah, it was a, a football proper... headbutt, though. It was, it was, it was a, a football soft, headbutt. Yeah, it was like, screw you, bro. Like, your teeth get all mangled, and you get tough, and you do the Jurgen Klopp, the jaw juts out, and the old chompers get a little bit different look. It's more of a 3D feel. I just, I don't like it when it's that, like, it's that physical. And then I somebody mean, I, hits the deck. I agree. I, I would much rather we had the hockey rule where, I mean, I wouldn't watch ice hockey. I value my time. But I do like the bit when they're allowed like 30 seconds to have a good old bundle. Yeah. But I think we should have a 30-second rule in football. If they all want to be like Timmy Tough Nuts, right? If they all want to be Timmy Tough Nuts out there and give it all this squaring up and all this um, yeah, um, hard, your hard stuff, yeah. you go like, right, okay. And there's a special whistle. And the referee goes, and you get right. It's like, um, what, what's it called? The Purge. You get 30 yeah. seconds of The Purge, the red hour. Boop, 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 boop. 30 seconds of Purge. Corner to Arsenal. That's, that's <laughs> what I want to say. That's what we need. We need yeah. The Purge. Actually, we just need The Purge. Final, final, final question, because we can't not do this. Uh, yeah. I was going to do it at the very top of the program. Then we got sidetracked by the other things that annoyed me. MLS Cup final. Mm. We are there. It's the West v. the East. Sirius XMFC has it live at Bank of California Stadium on Saturday. If you're in the U.S. and can listen, it's 3.30 Eastern. Kickoff, 4 p.m. Eastern. It is LAFC. Philadelphia Union! Brian Dunseth, MLS expert, TV star. What's yeah. going to happen? Well, uh, LAFC showed their class against Austin. Uh, Sebastian Driussi, who was up for league MVP, was really minimized. I think top to bottom, LAFC did a phenomenal, phenomenal job with and without the ball 
um, and how they managed that game. Uh, good friend Stevie Cherundolo played in the national team his first year as a true proper head coach following uh, the footsteps of Bob Bradley, who left and was out of contract, went to Toronto FC. He's done a phenomenal, phenomenal job kind of managing big personalities uh, and, and a lot of different cultures. Um, so credit to them. And by the way, Gareth Bale was available, carrying some type of knock. I'd be concerned uh, if you're a Wales fan. And at the same time, I wouldn't be concerned if you're an LAFC fan, because quite frankly, you don't need Gareth Bale. Uh, that's how good LAFC is. He's not a starting player for LAFC. Uh, for the Philadelphia Union, man, what a run it's been for Jim Curtin and company. Mm. Last year, this matchup between NYCFC at Subaru Park, they caught a case of the COVID and lost effectively their entire starting 11 um, and ended up losing 2-1 in the dying moments of the game to NYCFC, who went on to win the MLS Cup trophy. Um, Philly is a very, very good team. NYCFC, a couple of injuries, had a couple of great chances, a couple of great saves by Andre Blake. Uh, the the save from Andre Blake being down one nothing, really then back-to-back goals within minutes of each other for Philadelphia to take the 2-1 lead um, and then substitute impact on off the bench with Corey Burke getting the third. This is going to be a really difficult game for Philadelphia, but they have goals. They have kind of the sturdiness in the midfield. Um, they have ankle biters that aren't afraid to kick the living hell out of you. And they've got a phenomenal, phenomenal goalkeeper. So the two best teams in Major League Soccer, the Western Conference, the Eastern Conference, I don't think it could have been a better matchup. Usually we see some type of upended uh, uh, you know, game where the, the best team in the league gets knocked out by some crazy team, crazy result. That's not the case. Credit where credit's due. Two great managers, two great teams, two teams that deserve to be there. Uh, and it's going to be one hell of a game. Kickoff 4 p.m. Eastern, as you said. Uh, Bank of California Stadium Saturday. Um, be a hell of a game between LAFC and Philadelphia Union. Like being at a cafe in Belgium in the summer, that was a tremendous waffle. But who's going to win? I'd say LAFC. I think they're the favorites. Um, I don't know what the betting looks like. I don't know what our friends are saying. Uh, but I, I would say that at home, LAFC has been virtually untouchable this season. Again, Philly's not afraid of them, but LAFC, if they get going, that home crowd at Bank of Cup, for anybody that's going to be watching, I believe it's going to be on, on FS1 as well for television. Um, it'll be an incredible, incredible environment. And for me, one of my favorite, favorite stadiums in Major League Soccer, right downtown LA, that skyline, 32-52, the fans behind. When you're looking at the field, they'll behind, be behind the left goal standing room only, um, safe standing, incredible environment. So fantastic stadium. I, I, I'm going to go with LAFC winning 2-1. It'd be my shout, but um, I could very easily counter that argument and say Philadelphia Union is a hell of a team, and I could see them winning as well. Well, going by Dunny's work on Around the Grounds on Grumpy Pundits this season on Sirius XMFC, I'd like to say congratulations to Philadelphia Union. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.